Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Florida Basketball Hour. I'm Neil Blackman. Today's show, we will recap Florida's big win at Alabama and look ahead to Florida's showdown with number 13 LSU in Baton Rouge. I'll be joined, as usual, by Eric Fawcett of GatorCountry.com, and we look forward to talking about these matchups with you. Um, please do not hesitate to send us listener questions, and as always, we ask that if you haven't subscribed already on iTunes or any of the various platforms where you can find our show, please, please do so. Thanks again for listening, and enjoy the show. All right, everybody, I've got Eric Fawcett, GatorCountry.com. We are going to talk about uh, a big road win. Um, Florida beats Alabama 71-53, maybe plays their most complete game of the season. Yeah, I'm going to say it was definitely their best effort of the of the season. Um, I was going to ask you, what do you think was a better game for the Gators, um, this one or the uh, the home win against Butler? Which do you think was the better Gator performance? Uh, I kind of think this one just because I think Alabama is probably a little more talented top to bottom um, than Butler. And also because this one came on the road in a place that, that this season has been a really tough place for opponents. Yeah, I, I definitely think this is the more uh, the more impressive one. But uh, for anyone who is arguing, I guess that would be the only other one to kind of look at was that Butler game. But, uh, yeah, the fact this was on the road, the fact that the Gators desperately need this, and the fact that, um, you know, the, when Florida kind of beat Butler, it kind of uh, that team was kind of in some uncertainty and has kind of been kind of sputtering since. And though it's not like this Alabama team has been incredible this year, um, I think that they uh, they kind of still have their respect of the SEC at large, where I don't think Butler is getting a lot of respect in that league. So, um, and even just that the manner in which Florida won. Um, yes, uh, I mean, yes, Florida had that massive start to the game against Butler where they're hitting everything and Butler wasn't hitting everything. But uh, I, I don't know. I, I just feel like there was a little bit more, um, you know, Florida's hitting some shots they, they don't normally hit against Butler. Um, they were, Butler is missing shots they, they normally hit. And against Alabama, it wasn't just a matter of, um, hey, that Florida's chucking up bad shots and they're going in. It was, hey, Florida's getting really good shots. And it wasn't like Alabama's getting open shots and they're missing them. It was Florida's not giving up any easy shots. So, um, yeah, I would say just uh, just the best game of the season and uh, a pretty good, uh, you know, better late than never. Uh, this is uh, this is as good a time <laughs> as any, I guess, to get going. So uh, uh, we'll see if they can kind of carry over. Yeah, uh, we. I guess the, the, the logical place to start probably is um... – Andrew Nimhart's best game as a Gator and in and a game that he could play two more seasons at Florida and it's going to be tough to have a better game than he had Saturday. Yeah, definitely. Um, obviously going per- perfect from the field is great. And um, I, I thought he took good shots, obviously. And uh, that's kind of how you become a good shooter. You take good shots and obviously <laughs> the threes he took were, were open. And uh, one thing I kind of liked that wasn't the like most high skill plays or anything, but uh, you know, he got a couple breakaway layups just by, choosing good times to leak out. And that's something that Florida hasn't had this year. It just seems like you kind of watch college basketball at large and um, some teams that are probably a little bit more athletic than the Gators, you know, when they can, um, when they can get steals and when they know they can control the glass, they have guys leaking out and it, you know, provides one or two breakaway layups, just three points in a game. And Florida hasn't had that, but uh, yeah, Nemhart was able to, to kind of manufacture that just by, uh, by picking some good times to leak out. So uh, 
uh, I would take those kind of easy free points anytime. So that would be great. And uh, had a real physical and one where he got through some contact for a layup. That was good to see from someone who hasn't been great. And uh, uh, yeah, it almost seemed like he was about to go, uh, go the entire game without an assist, which would have been crazy. But right at the end there, he had a really nice no look pass to uh, Keontae Johnson, I think it was. And then had a, had a little dump down to Hayes. So made sure he even got in the assist category. Yeah. I thought that it was funny. Like he's playing this beautiful game and, through 30 minutes, Jalen Hudson had, like, by miles, the best pass. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which was kind of like, that's when you know things are going pretty well, is when is when Jalen's fired off, you know, no look across the lane passes for to set up baskets. Yeah, I mean, he had that one pretty, sh- uh, pretty shady one where he kind of lobbed it over the top for Hayes, and it turned out being beautiful, but it was one of those passes that... Uh, the window for making it is pretty small between getting it intercepted or throwing it out of bounds. But luckily it got to A's and uh, made it look like a really nice assist. So, um, yeah, uh, good good for Hudson. Um, Florida, I thought, set set the tone early just by its willingness to attack the glass against a team that has feasted this year on on the offensive glass. But also, as we alluded to on the preview, Alabama does a really good job of dictating tempo in games through defensive rebounding. Yeah, totally. And they, they wanted to get out and run. And that, that's kind of one of those things um, we kind of saw it against, uh, against Kentucky last season when the Gators played them and just kind of bear with me here. But uh, you know, there's these teams that uh, like Kentucky usually isn't that Alabama is this year that uh, their best offense is in transition. So the thing is when the opponent, the other opponent scores, not only is it points for the opponent, but it also takes away chances for, for them to run. So I think that's why we saw that, uh, that Florida played Kentucky in some games that, uh, that weren't always close. Because, and, and that's what we saw against Alabama, too. It's, it's not just Florida putting points on the board, but it's, hey, Florida puts points on the, on the board and then, and then Alabama can't run. So uh, that, that's kind of how things kind of snowballed uh, badly for, for Alabama was just, you know, that Florida scoring and then, suddenly if it becomes a half court game and, uh, and, and Alabama can score. So um, I thought that uh, those things just kind of uh, played off each other for the Gators. And that's why, uh, that's why it was kind of their offense leading into their defense a little bit, as much as people like to talk a lot of times about your defense feeding into your offense. So um, yeah, the fact that Florida made it a, a slower tempo game, um, it was in Florida's favor. There's no question. It's something you and me talked about. Um, Florida, Florida wanted to play slower. Alabama wanted to play faster uh, when the game got slow. Uh, we saw what team it benefited. We also saw Florida maybe run some of their best offense of the season um, against a team that's not that bad defensively, playing playing in their home gym, especially. You know, and it, it was some of these Princeton concepts that we talked about that that got Florida some some easy looks on sets, wasn't it? Yeah, and I think it was maybe a little bit of uh, a little bit of the fact that the, they saw kind of a few shots go down for them early, which which meant, uh, you know, next time they're coming off one of those chin cuts, they came off uh, a lot stronger. And um, got, getting some, uh, some good ball movement from their bigs, um, it took a little while for Stokes to get in the game, but, but he played some of his, you know, it seems like he's starting to string together some good basketball. And, uh, and uh, yeah, and Bassett and Hayes as well, too. Uh, I feel like they're getting a little more comfortable. And uh, it seems like, it almost seemed like Bassett was, was more comfortable in, in kind of this Princeton look uh, when Florida first started in, implementing it, kind of more so than Hayes. But it seems like Hayes has gotten there, and uh, you know Hayes is uh, always going to keep working. So I feel like he's probably a guy that's uh, that in practice has been trying to uh, trying to get better in these kind of dribble handoffs and these high low passes he has to make. And 
and yeah, overall this was uh yeah, it was a, it was a crisp offensive performance for the Gators. And um, just one thing I kind of pointed out to the people on, uh, on Gator country and uh, I'll point out here too, is just the fact that obviously Florida's offense has been what's really been killing them in, in the metrics. And um, after the, uh, you know, after a game where they scored really well on the road, uh, you know, they, they jumped nine spots in Ken Palm and, you know, got all the way up from, from 38 to 29, which is crazy to happen at this point in the season. But for a team that, you know, has been really good defensively, but really bad offensively, one big performance like that on the road uh, just had really launched them up the metrics. Well, and I thought it was important that it was important and interesting that they did it on a day when they weren't making a lot of three point jump shots. Oh, and Florida made six. Yeah. You know, Florida made six threes and yet was still really efficient offensively. Now, some of that uh, you just alluded to because just the, the fact that you can go inside out for five to seven minutes with Isaiah Stokes, um, you know, it, it just does things to a defense. Um, so it, it's, it's a wrinkle that Florida really just hasn't had and the coaches haven't had. Uh, and so, you know, that, that makes Florida a little bit harder to defend, right? And, and when you're harder to defend, you tend to be a little more efficient. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think that is, yeah, pointing out that they were able to score in the paint is, is just huge because uh, it, it's kind of crazy too. Cause I mean, you shoot, uh, if you shoot, you know, 40% from three, that's a, that's a fantastic night shooting from three. But if you see the ball only go through the hoop 40% of the time, that still is going to give a lot of, uh, that's a lot of missed shots for Alabama to still run off. Of. Um, kind of, you, you need to see the ball through the hoop to set your defense and um, for Florida to be able to be able to get those points inside. Uh, yeah. It was really good for the, for their offense and their defense. And I think that it should be, uh, it should be of course noted that, uh, you know, this, this team is kind of thought of as a three-point shooting team, and in a lot of ways, it really is. But on on their best offensive performance of the season, it was because they got it done in the paint. It wasn't because they were just ripping it up from behind the arc. Yeah, absolutely. Um, another another really good performance from the Florida bench, uh, second straight game. And we talked about Stokes, but maybe um, maybe one of the key plays in the game was you know Alabama had just made a basket and uh you know the hustle play that that Dante Bassett made just to make sure that Florida retained possession after an empty possession where Alabama could have come back the other way and then Florida ends up stretching it um from 44-34 to 51-34 in just that one sequence after that play uh it kind of tells you where Florida's bench was and and you got you know, another good game from Michael Carter, who hit a critical jump shot in the first half, as well. Yeah, that one did feel good, actually. It just one of those uh, one of those possessions was just backbreaking, where you know you, Alabama plays really good defense, and then right at the end, Okara just kind of is able to measure up the rim and hit a jump shot. And I feel like that's uh, those are just those possessions that kill you uh, when you can defend for twenty five seconds and you know someone still hits a shot. But uh, yeah, it's just crazy. Uh, this is another game where I look at Dante Bassett's line. And uh, it just seems like I always, uh, I, you know, I watch the games. I usually watch the games twice when Florida plays. And uh, then I look at the box score, and it always seems like Bassett plays less minutes than I think he did, just because I, I feel like he just puts his imprint on the game. And, I, and again, I look at his stat line of, you know, he had nine minutes, he had four points, and he had uh, no rebounds, no steals, no blocks, no, no turnovers, a couple fouls. But uh, it just feels like he put his imprint on the game just with those kind of those hustle plays. And uh Right, uh, it, it's just so funny. He's just, he's just one of those guys that I always think like, oh, he probably played, you know, sixteen or seventeen minutes, and I go look, and he's played seven or eight, and uh, <laughs> that was kind of, uh, that's kind of what you want from those bench pieces, guys who can come in and, and 
kind of make their presence felt in, in a positive manner and, and yeah, help, uh, help the starters kind of get a good breather. And uh, that was kind of big for Okaru as well, who, uh, who gave, uh, gave Nemhard a chance to take some breathers when he needed to. He still played 32 minutes, but I mean, it just seemed like uh, he got breaks when he needed and uh, Nemhard looked fresh uh, the whole time through. You know, it was funny that, that uh, possession where Alabama was creeping back into the game at the end of the first half. And it kind of felt like, those last four minutes of the first half were so vital for Florida to just maintain the nine point lead from the under four to the buzzer. And Okaru's shot obviously went a long way in helping Florida do that. But Jimmy Dykes on the broadcast, because I had watched a second time as well, just to see what, what Florida was doing offensively really. And you know, the Gators never quit cutting on that play. I mean, it wasn't like Florida wasn't moving. Alabama was just defending really well. And I think, it's interesting because Florida had a cut, a baseline cut on that play that caused the defender to drop off just a little bit right before Okaru shot. And, you know, it's kind of a testament to what Mike White wants. Like, if you're stagnant, at least be moving. Um, and I know those things seem contradictory, but I guess what I mean is if you kind of get in a position where you're out of ideas and you've got a ball handler like Mike Okaru who's a little limited offensively, with the ball late in the shot clock, at least other people are moving and not just expecting him to make the play himself. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of been Florida's problem when uh, when things weren't happening. It was just seemed like there was, um, you know, the guy with the ball had to do so much because there wasn't a lot of action on, on the weak side of the basketball. Or, you know, maybe there's a there's a ball screen or something, but the other three guys uh, aren't making the defense work. And it just meant, uh, meant that a lot of guys could kind of sit and help side, sit in the lane and make things tough for guys like uh, Fernando Nemhart. So... Um, yeah, the kind of constant motion really worked, and uh, just something you you mentioned about just how they how they were able to uh, to kind of hold off on those little Alabama runs and just stay stay with the leads. It just seems like you know we've seen Florida blow a lot of leads this this season, and uh, they're still kind of in the back of your mind as you watch the Gators with a you know double digit lead in the second half. There's still part of you that in the back of your mind is wondering, <laughs> you know, is is Florida about to maybe let this slip or have big things stay close and. Uh, they pretty much controlled it the entire game. And obviously um, Alabama never led in the entire game. And, and Florida just uh, just kind of took care of business once they got a lead. And to do that on the road uh, is amazing for any team, but especially a Florida team that has uh, had some had some kind of trouble letting those leads slip. Let's get into to why Florida was able to extend the lead so much, though. I mean, Alabama didn't score for eight minutes. It just starts and ends with Florida's defense still with this team, doesn't it? I mean, Tevin Mack won for eight really not a factor in the game. John Petty had 10 points on four of seven, but it didn't feel like he was a factor in the game to me. Maybe it did to you. Um, and, uh, you know, Kira Lewis kind of, as we projected, had some nice moments and some not so nice moments. Yeah. John Petty, he hit some tough shots and I thought those were pretty big and he hit two, right? hit two that I, I, I don't know if they're quite, I don't know if they're quite back to back or maybe on two out of three possessions or whatever, but uh, you know, he had, he had kind of had that look in his eye that you're like, oh, he might single-handedly shoot their way back in the game. So uh, yeah. he did have that one little burst. And, and yeah, Kyra Lewis is fun to watch. I, I, I know that he, I don't know, I feel like he almost maybe played better than even 14 points and a couple assists indicate. But uh, I, I thought he did give Andrew Nemhart some, some troubles at times as he's given, you know, tons of guards problems with his uh, his shiftiness. But, but yeah, overall, no one really got to, got got going. You know, Dante Hall had ten points on five six shooting, but I, I don't really uh, I didn't feel like he was uh, as much of a problem as, as he definitely could be. And uh, I just feel like uh, again, the fact that this turned into a half court game meant that the fact that Alabama has superior athletes and superior size at a lot of positions 
uh, it kind of took it out of the out of the equation a little bit because uh, you know if this turned into a track meet and, and it was sprinting up and down the court uh, I think that guys like Tevin Mack and and Dazon Ingram probably would have uh, been a lot more effective but when it turned into a half court game I, I thought Florida just uh, just really handled them well defensively. Um, I guess the easiest way to close our Alabama wrap is to talk about the the guy who was Florida's best player again, <laughs> Keontae Johnson, fourteen points, thirteen rebounds. Uh, I mean, what what is there to say about about this kid at this point other than he just has a really bright future? It's incredible, uh, just the way that he single handedly took care of the glass, and that's one of the things too. Uh, uh, thinking about the way that rebounding was going to be so important for the Gators in this matchup and to see that they did it really effectively. And then you watch the game and it was like almost, I, I mean, I don't want to take anything away from, from away from some other Gators who uh, did well boxing out, but it almost seemed like single-handedly it was Keontae Johnson taking care of the glass. And um, some of it was because um, Kamaris Hayes was getting some great box outs on, on Dante Hall that allowed uh, Keontae Johnson to pursue the basketball. But, uh, but yeah, he kind of took care of that single-handedly and, he had some, some just fantastic drives to the hoop where he caught the ball in triple threat, took a jab one way, put it on the floor the other way and got to the hoop. Um, yeah. Awesome. And then obviously knocked down some, some jump shots. So uh, yeah, just a really good game. And I, I mean, I, I, that's funny that you mentioned that he was the best Gator just because I, I also thought he was the best Gator just, despite action of hearts, really good offensive game. And I, some people on Gator country gave me a hard time about that, but I, I think he was, <laughs> I do think he was the best Gator and that's not taking anything away from uh from Andrew Nemhart, but I mean, there's a, there's a universe that Andrew Nemhart could have a game like that and, and Florida could lose to Alabama. But um, the way that Keontae Johnson just single-handedly took, took Alabama off the glass um, that, that had far, that just, that impact was just massive to me. So um, I'll give him the gator of the game. So uh, uh, I, I would curiosity too, Neil, how many years do you think uh, Keontae Johnson is going to be at Florida? Uh, three or four. Three or four. Yeah, I, uh, I, I'm, I'm kind of leaning, you know, I would guess three, but I think that there's a better chance that it's two than four, if that wow. makes sense. I, like I, wow. Yeah, I mean, I'm just looking at, uh, talking to some of the draft guys I know and, and looking at some of his kind of measurable tools. And, uh, you know, there's, there's guys that have, you know, guys that aren't as athletic as him, that don't have the frame, as good of a frame as him, that can't shoot the ball yet as well as him, that have gone a lot higher in the draft. So I, I, I think he's probably like, a three-year guy, but I, I think that there's a better chance it's it's two than than four. And uh, I just think if you you see what he's done already uh, this year as a freshman, I mean, if he takes if he takes even like a, a small step up after this, uh, you know, next year, I think that uh, I think we'll definitely see be seeing his name on draft boards. But it'll be interesting to watch, and I'm you know happy to happy to have guys like that really uh, really overachieving. Yeah, no, I mean it's great. Um... I know, and I know Eric has probably gotten tired of, and anyone that's followed me on Twitter has gotten tired of my uh, con- consistent Admiral Schofield comparisons. Uh, but it's just, I've, I've watched both of them play, and it's like, it, it's like watching a very similar player. They're not identical because Keontae is more athletic, um, and Admiral's taller uh, by about two inches and has about 10 to 15 pounds. But when look at Schofield's senior year freshman year weight i mean it's 220 right so it's kind of the same thing and they just bulked him up and put all that chisel on him um you know not that he didn't have a a good basketball body when he got to tennessee obviously he did but their freshman year splits are pretty similar the distinction is 
what Eric just said, that, that Keontae can kind of knock down that three-pointer. And if Keontae's going to hit those threes in the corner, the way he's been driving the ball lately, it's really a problem for defenses. Yeah, I really like uh, – uh, Keontae Johnson has one of those jump shots that's like it, – it's not the like smoothest or, or prettiest thing necessarily, but it's like actually very like fundamentally sound. Like you can just see he's uh, – I think it's just because he is so muscular. It's just that there's just like a smoothness that's um, – uh, that maybe just isn't there, but he's got that really just like, you know, gets his, puts his elbow in, gets his elbow high and, and keeps his wrist cocked back quick. And uh, he's got like a very, like very solid technical jump shot. I really appreciate every time he, uh, he lets it loose. But um, if we uh, let's, I just, uh, I haven't actually looked to see what his, uh, his percentage was. Do you know off the top of your head? I'm going to look right now, actually. Yeah, thirty-seven. No, I, thirty-seven percent from three. So that's uh, that's pretty that's pretty great as a as a catch and shoot guy. So, um, and yeah. I, and as I look at the three-point percentages, Andrew Nembhard is uh, climbing back up. He's now at thirty-five point six percent. He's uh, his three-point stroke has got uh, quite the ups and downs since he started really hot and then got really cold. But it's uh, leveled out pretty well. I mean, look at look at uh, I mean, look look at Schofield's freshman year numbers, and just look how comparable they are. Um, and it's it's pretty startling, uh, it just especially because both those guys are just so impactful defensively. Um, you know, in the last couple games, knock on wood, because this is a good transition to the LSU preview, Keontae's uh, done a pretty good job of staying out of foul trouble. Now we'll see what happens when when Florida plays LSU, uh, who is their opponent Wednesday night. The Tigers ranked number thirteen in the country. They've won 14 of their last 15. Their one loss in that 15-game stretch was to Arkansas, uh, a game they lost by a point. Um, so uh, maybe one of the hottest teams in America outside of Spokane, Washington, and um, certainly a huge challenge for Florida. Okay, um, I've got a, I, I'm first going to deliver my take that um, I think that that record that you just set is a little bit of fool's gold, and here's why. Um, first of all, so, so like you said, they've only lost one game in SEC play. Um, they've had three games go to overtime on the road, and they've won all of them. And that is definitely, like, I think that there's something to be said about that being pretty impressive to win three. You know, they've gone in three overtime games, and they've won all of them, and, and all of them have been on the road. But um, from kind of an analytical standpoint, if the game goes to, to overtime, it's, it's pretty much a coin flip. It was a coin flip at the end of regulation, and it's a little bit less of a coin flip for a five-minute overtime period. But those games are really ones that could have gone either way. And uh, now let's look, at the, um, let's look at who they've played. So uh, they haven't played Tennessee yet. Uh, this is a good point. This is a really important point. Sorry, I didn't yeah. mean to interrupt you. But this, this, is, this is super important and interesting. <laughs> yeah, so they have not played Tennessee yet. They have just played Auburn recently, and they did get that win, but this is not the Auburn of, of earlier in conference play of the season. Um, they just played Kentucky and got a two-point win on the road, which is really impressive. Don't get me wrong. But, I mean, other than that, this is their, this is their league schedule. They played Alabama. They played Arkansas. They played, Ole, they played, uh, they played Ole Miss uh, in the same stretch Florida did where they lost five of six. So they also got to catch Ole Miss at a bad time. Um, South Carolina at home. Um, they've gotten to play Georgia twice. Um, so, you know, you just see that their, their schedule, um, they, you know, just the way that they're kind of, uh, they got, you, see, you know, you see Florida gets to play Tennessee twice and Kentucky twice, um, you know, Vanderbilt twice. Well, it's like, well, they get to play 
uh, they've already played Georgia twice and they played Arkansas twice. You know, I, I would definitely take that if I was Florida. I'd rather play those two, at least from a win-loss standpoint. So, anyways. Um, definitely- and, and they only and they only play Miss State once um, in the traditional SEC West, what we used to call the SEC West in basketball. So, arguably, the best team in their division that isn't them, um, if we had divisions, which like we do in football is Mississippi state and they only play them one time. Yeah. So, so overall you just, uh, you look at that schedule and I just, you know, I definitely think, I, I mean, I think LSU is a good team, but I do think that saying that they're the, you know, the AP poll 13th, I do think that is definitely high. I think that, um, and I, yeah, I think that just, uh, I think their record has been a little bit of fool's gold. And then you also even look at their non-conference schedule um, you know, the two best teams they played were Florida State and Houston. They lost both of them. Um, their wins were against, you know, like Memphis early, before, you know, when that team was still gelling and not like they're great now. Uh, St. Mary's, you know, a decent team. Furman, who's a good mid-major. Um, but, yeah, they, they, lost to, they lost to Florida State. They lost to Houston, the two best teams that they played. And then they also lost to Oklahoma State, which is a, a really bad loss on a neutral floor. So um, they definitely have gotten better since. And, and uh you know, there is something to be said about that. They still have done really well in the SEC. But, uh, yeah, you look at that SEC schedule, and it is uh, just because of the unbalanced scheduling in the SEC, not all schedules are created equal, and I think that LSU is a product of that. Yeah, they beat UNC Greensboro, who's probably an NIT team. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, certainly uh, not, not the craziest. Well, we actually talked about this on an earlier podcast. I don't know if you remember. We were kind of talking about how, this might be a path for Florida to schedule it such a young team next year. Like it, oh, it yes. would almost be better if Florida scheduled where there were, but yourself like they did this season. Um, Cause I, I, you know, I still think there's something, something to be said that Florida's optics might be better if they were 16 and nine than 14 and 11. Now maybe they'd still be right on the same bubble. Um, who knows? But to some extent, you know, one has to wonder a little bit at least if, if, you know, a lower grade type opponent that where Florida was more likely to get a victory uh, would have helped them. But that's, that's a tangent that we don't need to well, totally cover at this point. <laughs> well, I mean, it's okay. Looking back at last season, um, you know, Florida, the optics of Florida were never that good, but they were a six seed and look at the other six seeds in the tournament. There was Houston who a lot of people thought were like, you know, that was everyone's, like, darling team. Everyone loved that Houston team. And, and So, exception last year, Eric was, Eric was discussing that before uh, we had a little technical issue. But, um, yeah, I will, I'll kind of continue that thought. Well, yeah, just the fact that you look at the uh, how things kind of landed last year, being a six seed, where I just feel like you when you look at the other six seeds – you saw a Miami team and a Houston team and a TCU team that people were kind of really high on. And they're you know, like talking about how good of the seasons they were, but, but Florida was kind of seen as this team that was limping through the sec schedule. So I do think that there's something to say about, um, about the optics of, of how those things go on. And um, I'll also say, uh, I think that will Wade, um, I'm not sure if it's him or someone in his kind of operations staff. Um, but, but I think that LSU schedules incredibly. Um, if you are like a nerd about, you know, how the, how people can kind of manipulate systems. Like um, I feel like when it was the RPI system, Will Wade manipulated that really well um, as Florida did two years ago when they played all those neutral site games, when the Odom was getting renovated. 
but Will yeah. Wade has always manipulated um, the system really, really well. And playing these, um, playing against Charleston, playing against UNC Greensboro, playing against uh, playing against Memphis, um, yeah, playing playing Houston away, and playing Florida State, and Oklahoma State neutral, and um, and even getting uh, playing. Yeah, they played St. Mary's neutral and, and playing Furman at home, and um, a lot of those games are just really good, sneaky kind of. Uh, like for example, St. Mary's and Furman, um, good solid teams, kind of like bubbly, probably not tournament teams, but but are around there. Um, but uh, but yeah, playing St. Mary's on a neutral that suddenly becomes you know that could be quadrant one. I haven't looked, but that'll be approaching that. And it's really close right now. It'd be really, really close. close. And and for <laughs> yeah, and Furman is a team that that's you know kind of a quadrant two win, um, even though uh, at at home, even though it, it you know it could people probably think of that as, as probably like lower. Cause they think of Furman as a mid major. So um, I don't know if it's Will Wade or, or if he's got an analytics guy or someone in his staff, but they, they have to have someone who has a very good analytical mind about scheduling because it's brilliant. And um, I would love for, uh, for Florida to do the same. So uh, yeah, I mean, I think that's, that's definitely something we need to talk about because we we've brought it up a couple of times and you look at, you look at LSU's schedule and you say, you know, that they didn't hurt themselves in any way, but certainly they helped themselves to some extent. And that's kind of what you want to do. Um, as far as who they are, uh, they, you know, they've been troubled by smaller teams actually, which is weird because they're, they're pretty outside of waters. They're actually long and athletic. Uh, but, but Oklahoma state and Houston aren't very big. Um, both those teams gave them uh, fits. Uh, Houston out-rebounded them, which I thought was really interesting, by 13. And Houston, like Arkansas, puts a lot of ball pressure on guards, um, which are two of their losses, Houston and Arkansas. So Houston used smaller guards to just get out and, and harangue um, Tremont Waters in a little bit of a way that, that I'm going to talk about with, with Eric here in a minute. Um, but I think you know, they do turn the ball over. They can be a little loose with the basketball. Uh, they can also heat up like a microwave um, offensively and just score in huge bunches. That's how they've erased. You know, we talked about the three overtime wins, but they're also a team that's erased three or two double-digit deficits in conference play um, to come back and win. Uh, in, you know, not not the Kentucky game, but, but they did it against Texas A&M and they did it against Missouri. So, They've had these games where they get behind and, and they still uh, win anyway. Um, so, you know, I kind of want to turn it over to Eric and just let him kind of walk you through his scouting report. Yeah, I think that LSU plays big. And if there's teams that can kind of punish them for doing that, uh, they're the teams that can win. And uh, if they kind of allow that matchup to uh, to swing in, in LSU's favor, that's kind, of, that's kind of the ball game. So for Florida, who's going to be uh, a lot smaller, obviously, uh, they've got to make it. They've got to make it hurt that they're playing really big. They've got to make LSU. They've got to make Naz Reed and, and Cavell Bigby Williams and um, and Emmett Williams. They, they've got to make those guys guard on the perimeter, and they've got to make they've got to make Naz Reed move his feet side to side and guard that way. Um, and that that'll be really interesting, kind of out of the out of the Princeton kind of concepts. Uh, if they can kind of get one of those quick um, chin screens that gets uh, that gets a guy like Jalen Hudson going towards the hoop. If he's got to get, you know, if, if it's Naz Reed chasing him, uh, that kind of pass could be there for him to get a layup. And uh, especially if Andrew Nemhart's got the basketball and, and Tremont Waters is guarding him because Andrew Nemhart has four inches on him, five inches on him, uh, could probably pass it over the top. So 
Um, I kind of like how Florida's offense will be to kind of kind of attack this. Um, uh, I'm sure that there's going to be times where Jalen Hudson's going to have the ball in his hand and, and Coach White is going to want him to isolate against a big that's probably guarding him at the four. Um, I'm still not sure how much I totally like that. If he can get to the rim, and that's great. Um, he really, really needs to take the floater out of his game. But uh, anyways... Uh, and yeah, if Keontae Johnson, kind of same thing. If he can, uh, if he can cut hard off the ball and and make uh, make these bigs trail him, uh, that's how Florida could get some uh, could get some easy buckets. And uh, Andrew Nemhart, yeah, he's got to be able to use his passing ability over the the smaller Tremont Waters, which I think he'll be able to do. And uh, hopefully, Florida can score and uh, against a team that uh, is kind of uh, metrically sim- similar to Alabama, where they're they're good but not great. And yeah, that could be uh, that could kind of be what swings things in in Florida's favor if they were to win. So should I go offense here or, or defense? Oh, you. <laughs> uh, Which one? Let's. Uh, well, if I just talk to offense, you better go defense. All right, I'll do defense, um, and then I'll come back to my my thought on offense. Perfect. I think Florida should ice screens, and I you know I've been waiting a couple shows to talk about this, um, but but one thing that. LSU will do is because waters is small, sometimes they'll just screen because he can come around them and it's hard to pick up. And I think that waters likes to drive predominantly to his right as well. So I think if Florida can force him to the outside and make him cut to the baseline, what do I mean when I say ice screens, it's actually not that conceptually difficult. I really don't even need a diagram. Um, It just, you want your first defender to go to the high side of the screen. And then the guy that's guarding the screener who is lower towards the basket, uh, essentially what he does is steps up to help. Um, he, he, and he's going to follow um, the waters in this situation towards the baseline. So what does that leave vulnerable? Uh, it leaves the pick and pop vulnerable, but if if you have to choose and you're Florida, you know, Nasrid can hit threes, uh, but as their primary screener, you know, there's like a bunch of shots you'd rather have Nasrid take. And, and I think the three-point jump shot or a long two-point shot are always going to be what you'd rather have him shooting or, or um, any of the other players that they'll screen with for waters uh, as opposed to, to just letting your, your team get crushed on, on the pick and roll or that kind of, of action. So that would be my, my first idea. Yeah, I'd be down for that. I, I would, I would be a little cautious to do it. Like you said, if, if Nazarene is the screener, just cause uh, um, yeah, icing screener role is probably going to give opportunities for him to, to catch and shoot uh, easy kind of three point balls. But yeah, if Cavell Bigby Williams or Darius days or Emmett Williams is screening the ball. Um, absolutely. Because it also takes their threat away of, uh, you know, an Emmett Williams alley-oop takes that out of the equation. Um, but yeah, so I, I, yeah, I, for people who, yeah, still might not be picturing it. I just think that, um, uh, I think screen and rolls just, uh, it's when someone wants to screen and roll to get towards the middle of the floor. And instead you force them to the baseline. And I think it's just all about taking the ball handler out of the equation. And cause a lot of, a lot of times in college basketball now, uh, the screen and roll is really about freeing up the guy with the ball in his hands. It's not like the, uh, you know, Carl Malone days of the screen and roll being ran to get the ball to Malone. Um, it's really just to free up the ball handler and icing screen and rolls kind of takes the ball handler out of the equation and says, Hey, let's let's make the screener beat us. So uh, this would be, this would be as good of a game as ever to try it out. Yeah, I think it's, and, and it's especially about that with waters um, because when you play LSU, the, the biggest thing you have to do is limit waters number of attempts. If you can, 
uh, in, in my opinion. You got to find him, you have to pressure him, and then you have to limit his attempts without overhelping. Um, <laughs> it's really easier said than done, actually, because he's such a prolific offensive player. But but I think, um, you know, in the games they lose, I mean, go back and look at the box scores. Uh, his attempts are a little lower than his usual 14 to 15, and he doesn't have as many makes. There's not really, you know, there, I think there's one exception where he, he actually plays really well and, and they lose. So they kind of go as he goes, um, he, despite all the talent that they brought in around him. Yeah, and he's a little bit of like a better version of Kyra Lewis still, who obviously Florida just saw. <laughs> so uh, that'll be interesting to see. And uh, you mentioned something really important, I think, and it's not overhelping. Uh, I did think that Florida got – one thing that kind of burnt Florida a couple times was uh, just when I thought that uh, Kavarius Hayes kind of pursued some – where Kyle, Kyra Lewis would be getting to the hoop a little bit, and then um, there would be a shot that there would be just like no chance of Kavarius Hayes blocking or bothering, but he would still just leap up and try to get to it at the top of it, the ball's arc. And um, then the ball spilled out, and that was the offensive rebounds that Alabama did get, even though it wasn't a lot, was just because Kavarius Hayes was just being a little too ambitious. And I think that that's – uh, that's what you can kind of do against uh, against Tremont Waters. I feel like that's what happens a whole lot when teams start to load up against him. He throws a shot up at the rim and it, it spills out, but but he's got Naz Reed there to to clean it up. And um, <laughs> right. I think that'll be just important too, where it's you know obviously yeah, stopping Tremont Waters is is kind of the number one thing you have to do. But at the same time, I don't think they need to sell out and have uh, Keontae. Right. You know right. if if he's you know Andrew Nemhard gets on his hip, you can't have. Keontae Johnson and Kavarius Hayes flying up at the rim trying to block a shot because it'll spill out and it'll you know look like a missed field goal for Tremont Waters, but it's as good as an assist if he draws two shot blockers and uh, Nazarene is there to dunk the uh, dunk the rebound. So I think that's a really important point um, for offense too. Which kind of it's beautiful how Eric just just set me up to the point. The only point I really wanted to make about Florida's offense, which is that. LSU isn't a great defensive team. I wouldn't even characterize them as a very good defensive team. Um, I think that their analytics defensively get inflated because they're an elite shot blocking team. Um, So when Florida high ball screens and when Florida pick and rolls, they're going to put two of their bigs on the ball. You know, they're going to put two on the ball. So if you put, if you put their big men in in the pick and roll, you're going to get two on the ball. So Florida has to move the ball and they have to do it fast. Um, and then if, if you can do it that way and, and get into your next, you know, bit of offense, I think you're, you're in pretty good shape, except that they're super athletic. So they're the reason they can put two on the ball is because they can get back in the gate at the rim. Um, but that does create opportunities to offensive rebound, which Oklahoma state had 15 uh, and Houston had 18 offensive rebounds against them, despite being undersized. So, you know, Florida might be able to get some offensive rebounds just because of the way that LSU plays defense. Yeah, that's a great point. And I mean, obviously, Keontae Johnson, him starting to play more minutes for the Gators has totally changed the way that they've been able to offensive rebound. And uh, Kavarius Hayes has actually been, you know, even though he hasn't been a great defensive rebounder by the by the numbers a lot of times uh, in his time in Florida, but uh, he's always been a pretty good offensive rebounder just with that length and that ability to, to back tap balls. And 
uh, yeah, they've got to be active. And uh, I think that that's just one of those things that if you're Kavari Hayes, uh, you're not going to get a lot of plays ran for you, but you can go, uh, if you can go get the basketball and, and, and dunk at home, that's uh, that's offense that he can create for himself. So uh, that's a great point. Looking at the way that, that, uh, you know, smaller teams have been able to offensive rebound against them. Uh, that's got to be something that Florida looks to do, especially when it comes to those, uh, kind of 50-50 rebounds where Florida can be quicker to the basketball than than a LSU front line that's a little more a little bigger and a little slower. Yep, uh, an excellent point, I think. So, um, obviously, a, a huge challenge um, for the Gators uh, in Baton Rouge, but not necessarily, uh, especially the way the schedule sets up. As I just keep, you know, I get back to my my random point that I sometimes make about how I don't like to do too many speculative things, but I do know as a coach, I know the mentality of 17 and 18 year old kids and 18 to 23 is not a ton different. <laughs> and LSU is a really big game on Saturday. Uh, they got Florida coming in. Um, you know, they're probably going to be wanting to play better than they did against Georgia, but it's still human nature when you've just been ranked number 13 to kind of look ahead to Tennessee. Maybe there's a chance the Gators to get them at a good time. Oh, yeah, it certainly can't hurt. And like I said, I, I think that this is a, uh, this is a team that, uh, that I don't think their record is, is maybe as good as, uh, as good as uh, they kind of indicate. And uh, they're kind of, um, like you said, they're kind of explosive and have kind of gotten themselves back into some games, and that's that's really impressive. But if uh, if the Gators can you know make this game take this game go ahead like they did against Alabama and kind of dictate the tempo and keep possessions down, uh, they could hopefully do exactly what they did against Alabama, and that's just kind of parry every blow that uh, that they that Alabama tried to tried to give to get back in the game. And if they can do that against LSU and just avoid the big run of LSU, uh, I think I like Florida's chances. So. Um, it was kind of interesting because a couple of weeks ago when you and me were kind of looking through the schedule, the LSU matchup was one that, that really scared me. And then, you know, this last two weeks as I've been paying a little bit more attention to them and starting to, to go look back, look at their schedule, watch some of their games. Um, it's kind of started to scare me less just because of the way that I don't <laughs> think they defend really well. And the way that I was like, Hey, wait a second. I don't think this schedule is as good as, as their record indicates or as good as the, the, the rankings kind of indicate, because uh, I, I don't think there's as much there as, uh, as the raw numbers would would say, so um, you know, I, I actually I actually like Florida's uh, Florida's chances in this one, um, especially too, just given that they just played their best game of the season. Yeah, I mean, I think the Gators will come in and, and be pretty inspired, and and I'll put it this way: I like Florida's chances to split this series, um, whether it's win one in Baton Rouge or win one in Gainesville. You know, I think you know they have a pretty good chance of doing that, which really puts a lot of pressure on Florida for the rest of the schedule. But um, that's kind of that's 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 for down the road. So I want to thank everybody for for listening today. We have um, some listener questions that we'll do for the next show prior to Florida's home game against Missouri. So please keep sending those in. And um, thanks, everyone.